Good morning, Burlington Baptist Church. And it's so blessed to have you join us today. We are just excited about the fact that we had a great celebration last week, whether you were in the parking lot with us or you were watching online. Just a great opportunity to share God's love and celebrate a risen Savior. Tonight, we are looking forward to the word that Harold's going to bring in just a moment. And we're going to sing a few songs together and join together in praise. But I just wanted to share with you quickly one thing that I was reading uh, this week. I was reading in the book of Judges, chapter 2. And it brought me to mind about my responsibility and my faith. And that is the fact that um, when you read in Joshua, chapter 2, you see the end of Joshua's life. And you see that God has found out or realizes how badly the Israelites have fallen away from him. And they'd stop sharing the stories in the next generation, in the next generation. So my challenge to you this week is this, that as parents, as grandparents, as friends, even as students that have people in your life that don't know Jesus Christ, don't forsake this time and not share with them what God has done in your life. And remember that the stories and the things that we're experiencing through this time of being separated are things that we can look back and be so thankful the way that God has brought us through. And we're just so blessed in the Christian community to have brothers and sisters that continually pray and lift us up, even though that we can't physically be together. So as we get ready for worship today, I just ask that you join with me for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity. We're in your house. We're at home. We might be out in a park. Wherever we may be as we go through this worship experience, Father, we ask you to let your Holy Spirit just move in us. And Father, we know that there are so many people that are under anxiety and worry and their uncertainties. And as Satan plays those out in their minds, Father, find your place in their heart and combat that. And let us always remember, Father, that the things that we experience now are the things that we share for the generations to come. So we'll know how faithful our God has been. And Father, we also thank you for the opportunity just to have your word spoken today. And as Harold brings this message, Father, let it speak to us in a mighty way. Bless the praise team as they bring this song to us. And as we have these songs to sing, Father, let us lift our voices no matter where we are in praise and celebration of who you are. Father, thank you for another beautiful week and standing by us all the way. We pray all these things in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives. Amen. Well, good morning, church family. We are happy this you are back with us. Like we're to see you back, but uh, we'll see you on the on the feed. But uh, we're happy that you're back with us this week, uh, and we are just so excited. We want to thank you guys for showing up on Sunday last week. We had such an awesome time, and it was so good to see you. But we're going to sing some this morning, so join with us. Chains 
singing together so much is that uh, these guys get to step up and lead a bunch of songs and uh, you get to hear them sing instead of me all the time so Courtney's going to lead this one
says free oh it's free indeed i'm a child of god yes i am in my father's house there's a place for me i'm a child of god yes i morning Burlington Baptist. Uh, this is the time we normally worship God through giving and I'd ask you to just take a moment and maybe write out that check or or text to give or get online. I uh, also want to just take a moment and thank you for your faithful giving. Uh, the last few weeks you all have given and given and uh, when we've been meeting as a staff we, we were making plans and uh, one of the things we haven't had to make any plans for is cutting back ministries, and that's because of your faithful giving. And so we're humbled by that. Uh, we ask you to continue to give. You can mail it in or drop it off or, or go online or text it. Uh, but we just want to thank you again for giving faithfully, and I uh, just love to ask the Lord to, to bless our, our giving. Lord, thank you for the faithful giving of, of your children, and uh, we're blessed to, to know that uh, we are your children. And uh, you're faithful to us, and uh, you invite us to, uh, to give back a portion of what you've given to us. And we want to be faithful in that, and I thank you for the faithful giving of this church. And uh, we're thankful that we can continue to do ministry and minister to our community and support our missionaries, and, and that the work goes on. And uh, we know that that's because of the faithful giving of your people and your faithfulness to us. And uh, we, we realize we can never outgive you. And we realize that our giving is an act of worship. And so may you receive it uh, today and may you multiply it. May we be good stewards of it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, it changed. 
praise team and again we're so thankful for them and their faithfulness i hope you're enjoying their friday night studio three services and uh, man they've been an encouragement to us and we're thankful for them uh this morning we just want to provide a little bit of encouragement uh, we know that this is a difficult time for so many and and we get messages sometimes i know jeff does just from uh, people who are just struggling with the way we're living, and the young people are having a hard time with their schedules as they've changed, and some of our seniors are missing out on their senior year of high school, and 
and uh, we have shut-ins, and they can't have visitors, and can't see their grandkids sometimes, and uh, some people are in the hospital, and they can't have visitors, and uh, funerals, you, you can't do that, and uh, some people are looking at their retirement, and it's gone down, and just so many things coming against us, and, uh, and so I, I want to offer some hope for the depressed uh, this morning, and I want to look at a biblical example, the example of Elijah, and I want to see how God graciously dealt with uh, Elijah when he got a little depressed. And so I'm going to start by looking at Psalm 42, verse 5. And then we're going to look at 1 Kings 18 and 19. If you want to grab your Bible, uh, we're going to kind of walk through that story there in 1 Kings 18 and 19. Let me read uh, Psalm 42, verse 5, and then we'll pray, and then we'll jump in there. Uh, the psalmist says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And so what we have is the psalmist is kind of talking to himself, and he's saying, why are you cast down? Why are you in turmoil within me? And then he answers himself, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Pray with me. Father, I, I pray that uh, you might speak uh, through your word in a way that would be an encouragement. There are some people who uh, are discouraged and depressed and need a, a word of hope. And we know that your word is, is life and honey. And sweeter than the honeycomb. And it gives life. And your spirit uses it. And it instructs us. And it, it helps us to think rightly. And to act rightly. And to be encouraged. And to be able to rejoice. And be filled with joy. And to realize uh, our future. And the hope that we have in Christ. And so many things that you want to accomplish. Uh, by the power of your spirit. Uh, through the means of your word. And so I pray that you might speak through me. These next few minutes. Uh, that you might give us ears to hear, and uh, you might have a word for those that are listening this morning. Uh, change us, encourage us, do all the things that you know that we need, and uh, when we get done, we'll give you all the praise, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, uh, I want to just kind of give a few disclaimers before I get started this morning. Uh, for several years, I wanted to compile some material on depression. Uh, because some people sometimes would come in and they would be depressed and, and uh, there was a while I didn't really know how to help them much. And so I read a lot. Uh, I decided to write a book. I outlined the book. Uh, I got resources together. The title was Turning Despair into Delight, Replacing Depression with Devotion. And I, and I wish I could tell you I finished writing it. I, I didn't. I started it, and I didn't get done. I, I stopped. Uh, the culture kind of began pushing mental health, and uh, I'm not denying any of that. Yet, there is this spiritual uh, dimension, this spiritual warfare dimension of depression. I'll talk about that a little bit this morning. Let me give you a definition of depression. This is by Dr. Robert Smith. He's a physician and biblical counselor. He defines depression. He says it is a debilitating mood, feeling, or attitude of hopelessness, despair, or joylessness, which becomes a person's reason for not handling the most important issues of life. Now, let me say this. There's a difference between depression and simply a case of the blues. Uh, the blues is a, a phrase that kind of describes sad feelings. 
And probably 99% of us are feeling the blues sometimes when we're quarantined in our house and we can't do the things that we want to do. We get the case of the blues sometimes and we get a little discouraged. Now, a person can, can, uh, who has the blues or discouragement, they can continue towards full-blown depression if, if they allow those feelings to consume them. And, uh, and it gets to a point where they become paralyzed. And so uh, I have found that a couple of the most prominent contributing factors of depression uh, are a failure in self-discipline. And uh, even self-control, and we know self-control is one of the fruits of the Spirit, and uh, including a failure to think rightly or to think biblically. And so I often encourage people uh, from Paul, 1 Timothy 4, 7, to train yourselves or to discipline yourselves for godliness. And it takes some discipline and some training, and, and that's harder for some people than it did others. Depression is a terribly debilitating problem in which some get so overwhelmed with their feelings that their participation in life almost comes to a stop. And, uh, and so maybe you've never really been able to grasp uh, the, the darkness and the despair, the depression that some people live with. And so let me share with you just uh, uh, some glimpses of some way that some people have described their depression. Some say depression is your own little private hell, unknown to everyone but you, the Lord and Satan, as he is part of it. And I believe that's the case. I, uh, the enemy loves to get us down. It's very painful, the most devastating thing I've gone through. It makes one feel helpless and hopeless. It hurts at times. The hurt at times is unbelievable, and apart from the grace of God, it's unbearable. It does not just go away with the passing of time. It's a real struggle, and lots of times you don't want to struggle anymore. Depression is very tiring, and almost everything you do takes a tremendous amount of effort, even just getting out of bed some days. Some of that's hard for some of you to relate to. I understand that. Depression robs you of your energy, your affections, your happiness, your contentment, your reasoning. It leaves you bewildered, confused, sad, angry, sometimes resentful, sometimes tearful, anxious. It affects you physically. I mean, sometimes people lose weight because they have no appetite. It affects you mentally. You think of nothing except how bad you feel and uh, what a waste your life is. It affects you spiritually. People feel forgotten and forsaken by God. It's difficult to pray, and when they do pray, they don't feel like they're accomplishing anything. In depression, one sad thought leads to another, and in a very few moments, you are in the depths of despair. Some people describe depression as living with a, a broken heart. We, we hear of people who died with a broken heart. Well, this is living with a broken heart. And, and let me say this, it's kind of sadly, but depression is even widespread among Christians. And again, I think it is a, an area of spiritual warfare where the enemy loves to attack our minds, our feelings, our emotions. And I just want you to know this morning that I believe that victory is available. Now, let me give you another disclaimer. Now, sometimes there are physical issues that contribute to depression. 
diabetes, epilepsy, viral infections, cancer, rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, there's a list of those things. I'm not a medical doctor. And, uh, and so I, just, I want you to know that sometimes you need to go get a physical to see if there are any medical things that are contributing to your feelings of depression. Uh, now, let me give you a warning. Uh, in our culture, uh, many, I think, in the medical field want you to think that depression is a sickness. And when you get this diagnosis, then you're invited to play the victim. And so I'm going to just tell you up front, I'm talking about depression from the perspective of a pastor as a biblical counselor who cares about your soul. And I'm going to say this, as Christians, we have to be careful allowing our feelings to lead us to disobey God's Word with our actions and with our thinking. You see, the thoughts that cause the feelings of depression and, and the thoughts and actions that result from the feelings can and are often sinful. And you say, what do you mean? Well, doesn't the Bible say in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18 to rejoice always? Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And so the Bible says that for the believer, this is the will of God, that you would rejoice, that you would pray, that you would give thanks. Well, listen, depression is, is, is kind of the opposite of joy and rejoicing. I, I don't know that I've ever met a person dealing with depression who described themselves as joyful or mo very, not very often thankful. And so I, I said that the lack of uh, self-discipline and self-control include a failure to think rightly and biblically. Those are prominent contributing factors in much depression. And so I want to help you this morning to, to recognize areas where maybe you're thinking wrongly or you're not disciplining yourselves. And I, I want to encourage you. I don't, I don't want to pour salt on your wounds. I, I want to be an encouragement. And uh, I'll, I'll just tell you that in the past, I've, I've talked with people who've struggled with depression, and, and usually I'll encourage them to do a, th a few things, uh, take small steps, uh, accomplish a few things each day, I mean, get your to-do list, and, and be able to mark off a couple of those things, be encouraged by that, uh, be thankful, make a list of things that you are thankful for, uh, do something for someone else, uh, write a note to someone else, uh, think on the Lord, count your blessings. All those things take a little bit of discipline. And so sometimes, I'm just going to be truthful with you, sometimes the, the depressed person leaves more depressed after talking with me because they want to be fixed. They want their feelings to be fixed. I just want you to know that it takes the grace of God and, and some personal effort. And so uh, I want us to look at the life of the prophet Elijah and uh, recognize how easy it is for us to go from a mountaintop experience to the, to the depths, to the valley of despair. It can happen so quickly, and none of us are, are beyond it. And so if you turn to 1 Kings chapter 18, most of you are familiar with this story. Uh, Elijah is the prophet who battles the, the prophets of Baal, and God proves himself to be the one true God. And so, uh, just a little background, 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 29, we're introduced to this guy named Ahab. He becomes the king of Israel. Verse 30 says that he's an evil king, and not just the regular evil, but more evil than all those who were before him. And if you read the Old Testament, that's saying a lot. And then he's married to this lady in verse 31 named Jezebel. 
And she is the daughter of a ruthless king and former priest of Baal. And she is the most wicked woman in the Bible. I mean, Ahab is the one that should be depressed. But anyway, she's wicked. And uh, she brings her entourage of Baal worshipers to Samaria when she marries Ahab. And she tries to, to kill the, the Lord's prophets. Chapter 18, verse 4. When Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord. That, that means that she killed the prophets of the Lord. Now, some of them escaped and some of them were hidden. And we'll talk more about them later. But when we come to verse 20 of chapter 18. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. And so the people of Israel were trying to ride the fence And Elijah just says, if God is the true God, then you better follow him and you better turn your back against Baal. And and anyway, he offers this challenge to the prophets of Baal. And we're, again, we're familiar with it. Verse 22, Elijah said to the people, I, even I only am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. And so here's the challenge. He invites them to get two bulls and uh, to, uh, to cut one bull for themselves and to cut it in pieces, to lay it on the wood, uh, to put no fire around it, uh, prepare the other bull, lay it on wood, put no fire on it. And basically, you're to call upon your God and see if he burns up this sacrifice. Uh, and I'll call on uh, my God and see if he burns up this sacrifice and will be able to tell who is serving the true God. And so they do that, uh, and he lets them go first. The choose yours in verse 25. In verse 26, they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it, and they called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon. Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered, and they limped around the altar. They did all kinds of things, crying out to Baal, and there was no answer. And then at noon, Elijah mocked them. Uh, cry louder. Uh, either he's musing or he's relieving himself or he's on a journey or perhaps he's asleep. And so uh, Elijah says, you better cry a little louder because he's not hearing you. Maybe he's gone potty or something. But anyway, he's not doing anything for you. And so I love this story. Uh, they cried aloud. They cut themselves as their custom was. And they did all kinds of things. I mean, they're bleeding here, begging their false god to do something. Verse 29, at midday past. They raved and on until the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. Well, we, we're not surprised because they, Baal's not a god. So anyway, no, no answer, and so Elijah, it's his turn, and we know he, he tells them to get four jars and, and dump the water over the, the wood, and then get four more jars and dump it over the wood, and get four more jars and dump it over the wood, and so he gets everything, I mean, there's water pouring off of this, uh, this bull and this wood, and, and, uh, and then he cries out, uh, let's see if we can pick up at uh, verse 36, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, And Israel, let it be known this day that you are the God of Israel, that I'm your servant, that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. 
So God showed up in a big way. He burned up that sacrifice. And when the people saw it, verse 39, they fell on their faces. And they said, oh, yeah, we know who the real God is. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. They realized that God was true. Verse 40, and Elijah said to them, seize those prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they did. They seized them, and Elijah brought them to the, down to the brook of Kishon and slaughtered them there. Now, this was a great victory uh, that Elijah experienced over Baal. This, we could say, is a mountaintop experience. And, and we know that during this time, it hadn't rained for three and a half years. Uh, King Ahab, he'd been looking for Elijah because he had asked God to, to hold the reins. And after this, uh, Elijah goes and he begins to pray for rain. And we see that in verse 42. And, and sure enough, it comes a rain and... and uh, and so just everything was working out for Elijah. And then we get to chapter 19. And so after the events of chapter 18, after the defeat of Baal, and after they kill the prophets of Baal, after the end of this drought, uh, Ahab goes home to Jezebel, and he gives her a report. Honey, you won't believe it. Uh, Elijah, uh, he killed all the prophets with the sword, and they're gone. And notice verse 2. Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. In other words, I'm going to kill you, Elijah. Now we read that and say, Why would he be scared of her? But anyway, Elijah hears about this threat. And uh, man, it, it shakes him up. And, uh, and so let me just this warning that sometimes some of the lowest points come after the highest. After we've been up on the mountain, uh, we, we go down quickly. And verse 3 is just a picture of this. When he, this is Elijah, then he was afraid. I mean, God has just done all these amazing things. He, he burned up, I mean, he sent fire down from heaven. And Elijah was afraid. He arose and he ran for his life and came to Bathsheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. How did Elijah get to this point? Well, I, I think we, what we, we noticed some things. It, it occurred after he was emotionally and physically exhausted. I mean, this has been a kind of a traumatic experience for him. Just standing there crying out to God and God sending this fire and burning this up. And I mean, to just experience this movement of God and this fire fall from heaven. And, and then this execution of the prophets of Baal. And, and then this tremendous rainstorm. And uh, all of these were great victories for Elijah. But when Ahab goes back and reports to Jezebel all that had happened, and she sends this telegram to Elijah and says, I'm, gonna, I'm coming after you. And again, she's the most wicked woman in the Bible. And so, uh, but here's what happens. In life, in ministry, we get exhausted. And when we get exhausted, the enemy comes after us. 
Uh, we see this often. Uh, we see depression after a big game or after a big win or after a big event. We, we hear about postpartum depression after the baby comes. We, depression after the honeymoon because all this energy has been invested in planning. And, and once the excitement is over, then there's these, these feelings come over us. We put so much into something. And, and after it, we're tired and the anticipation is over and the adrenaline is all gone. And I remember one time Charles Stanley said that we're most vulnerable to temptation when we are hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Now you think about that. He, we halt, if you want to remember it. Hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. We got to be on guard when we're in any of those conditions because the enemy sets his target on us. Danny, you're not hungry, are you? No, oh, all right, all right. Uh, so why was uh, Jezebel afraid? I mean, uh, why was he afraid of Jezebel? Well, again, I, he was emotionally and, and physically drained, and he got his eyes off the Lord, and he ran. I mean, Beersheba is the, the most southern I mean, we read about from Dan, that's up north to Bathsheba. I mean, this is the most southern port. This is like a, a hundred miles. And it's, I mean, he starts running. He's like Forrest Gump when he starts running. He just, he's running for his life. And it manifests itself his, in, in self-pity. Verse 4, he, he himself, he went a day's journey into the wilderness. And he came and he sat down under a broom tree or a juniper tree. And he asked that he might die. I mean, God just did something amazing, and now he's run to a point, and he just says, I want to die. It is, it is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my... I just, I, I can't, it's not, life's not fair. And so we see a little bit of a preoccupation with himself, uh, and he's going to say, oh, I'm the only one left. Verse 10, he says, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have taken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they say, he's saying, I'm the only one left, and now they're going to come after me. And listen, that's not, that wasn't even true. We're going to see later, but there were other prophets. And so uh, what happens is that when we get physically and mentally exhausted, we take our eyes off the Lord. And sometimes we not only take our eyes off, but we criticize or we find fault with Him. And the truth is, we're just not looking to Him. And I'm going to suggest that, th that His condition affected how He responded. He, we could say He was overworked and overworried and physically and mentally exhausted after this experience there on Mount Carmel. And uh, He's completely exhausted by verse 4. And when He gets there to that tree, He says, it's enough. I can't, I can't take it anymore. And uh, listen, some people get to that point, and they say, I just, I just can't, it's, it's just so much coming on me. And, and, and let me just say one thing, God, God told us to take a day a week for rest, and uh, we're foolish when we think we know more than Him. He knew that we needed rest, and yet sometimes we think, well, I just, we're too modern for that, or I'll lose too much money for that, or we, we have all kinds of excuses why we know better than God, and yet He knew that we needed rest. And so the application, I think, for us this morning is that we need to take care of ourselves. You, you need to take care of yourself physically and mentally. You're not called to do everything for everybody all the time. Uh, I'm preaching a little bit to the choir, but find God's calling for your life and do it the best you can and say no to some things. I, I mean, Elijah's at a point where he thinks he's the only one left, and, and we feel that way sometimes. Well, I'm the only one that can... It's usually not true. And again, uh, in verse 18... 
Uh, yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not. Th- th- there are 7,000 other ones. Uh, they, haven't, they didn't bow to Baal. Uh, Elijah wasn't alone. Uh, now, we could ask where they were, and, and, and maybe they were hiding because they were scared of Jezebel. And, and there are some Christians, it seems like they're in the CIA, and they're, they're undercover Christians. And uh, when we used to meet on Sunday mornings, there were some undercover Christians in, too. But anyway, uh, it feels that way sometimes, that we were the only ones. But Philippians 4, 8 is a passage that we talk a lot about in counseling because we often, our thoughts are not true. And, and so here Paul says in Philippians 4, 8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, those are the things you should think about. If it's true, you can think about it. But if it's not true, then you've you got to get rid of it. Much of what leads us into depression are untruths that we believe or we convince ourselves of. And often, they're not true. Now, let me say this. I, even though Elijah got his eyes off God I, and fled from Jezebel, I, I think he knew that he needed God. Uh, because when he's able, verse 8 says that he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. Uh, and so he's, he's going to run to, to the, the place that most represents God. To It's Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. And of course, God didn't send him there. He didn't have to go all the way to the mountain to find God because God was with him. Uh, matter of fact, verse 9, uh, there he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Why are you here? I, I didn't send you here. And again, this, this is, if you looked at Exodus chapter 3, Mount Sinai is where Moses was when God appeared to him in the burning bush. And, and so uh, Elijah at least knew enough to know that he wanted to get into the presence of God. But, I, but maybe he was going to go there to have a little pity party with God. or uh, Maybe he was going there to be reminded of the promises of God. But, but here's some application. If we seek God, he will reveal himself to us. And uh, we know verse 11, God said to him, Go out and stand in the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord wasn't in the wind. And after wind, an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And, and after the fire, the sound of a low whisper, or, or some translations, a still small voice. God spoke to Elijah there on the mountain. And, and just as God rejuvenated and, and spoke to Elijah, he, he wants to rejuvenate us and he wants to draw us to himself today. And uh, we don't have to look for him in the supernatural. Uh, he, he still speaks with a still small voice. He, he still speaks to us through his word and through the power of the spirit. He, he speaks to us. And uh, we sometimes need God to just rejuvenate us. And, and sometimes we just need a new vision of God. And we need to see His glory. And the key, church, is to get into the presence of God. And so Elijah went to Mount Sinai. We're, we're invited to, to come to... God has revealed Himself to us in His Word. And, and we're invited to, to come here and feast. Hebrews 12 says we don't have to go to Mount Sinai. We can come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the very presence of God. Hebrews 4, 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy 
and find grace to help in times of need. Listen, if you're depressed, you need His grace and His mercy. And because Jesus died on the cross, we can come into the very presence of God and we say hallelujah for that. He invites us to come. Come with boldness to His presence. He invites us to come and to receive mercy and to find grace to help in times of need. So let me just point out some things that God provided for Elijah. Uh, He provided for for his physical needs. Uh, Verse 5, after he had run, he lay down and slept. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was uh, some warm cornbread. There was a head of cake baked on hot stones. That's our translation for cornbread, warm, greasy cornbread. He ate it and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him. Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank, and and he was strengthened by that. And so uh, God offered nourishment through food and rest for him. And uh, listen, that's something for us. We, We need to get our physical bodies in order. Now, you'll say, well, preacher, that's not very spiritual. Listen, when you're exhausted, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is get a good night's rest. To which my wife will say amen. Uh, now, again, some, some depression has some medical implications, and so get a physical to check on that. But, but then, then God challenges Elijah to do some self-evaluation. Again, verse 9, he, he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Uh, he says it again in verse 13. Uh, he wrapped his face in the cloak, and, and behold, there was a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Uh, again, God didn't send him to, to Mount Horeb, but many times God asks us to think the same things. What, what are you doing here? Sometimes we're depressed because we're not where God wants us. And sometimes we need to consider, are we where God sent us? Or are we going out on our own? And then we see that God deflects his attention from himself by telling him there is more work to do. And I won't get into all this, but verse 15, the Lord said to him, Go return on the way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Haziah to king over Syria, and Jehu the son of Nimshi you shall anoint to king over Israel, and Elijah the son of Shaphai you shall anoint to be... In other words, Elijah, i got stuff for you to do. It's no time to have a pity party. There's work to do. And uh, so I think God is reminding them that uh, it's about God and, it, and uh, there's work to do. And so get over yourself and, and get on with the work. Now, back to verse 18, he, he tells us that there are 7,000 other, uh, other servants of God. But we live in a world of perception. And we sometimes think, well, I'm the only one left. That's not true. Uh, sometimes we think, well, God, you, you know, it, it can't go on without me. That's not true either. Uh, I'll just say to some of you, listen, don't quit, and, and know this, you're not alone, that uh, God has something for you to do, and so be encouraged by that. And so as we study God's interaction with Elijah, let me just give you five points of application, and I'm going to just run through these quickly. Uh, these are five points of hope if you're depressed. First of all, take care of your physical needs. I think most of you know that. Get some rest, exercise, eat right, take care of your, God gave you a a physical body, take care of yourself physically. Second, take control of your thoughts. Again, write down Philippians 4.8, and uh, Paul says, whatever's true and pure and lovely, a good report, think on those things. Uh, if it's not true, then you've got to push eject. And the enemy is always whispering untruths to you. And so uh, the enemy's a liar. Recognize that. The enemy's going to say things like, well, you're worthless. 
Well, that's a lie. The Bible says you're fearfully and wonderfully made. The praise team just sang about you're a child of God. That's the truth. If you've come through faith, the truth is you're invited. You're brought into the family. You're a joint heir with Jesus. You have an inheritance that will not pass away. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, take every thought captive in obedience to Christ. And so when thoughts come into our minds, we have to decide, is it true or not? If it's not true, get rid of it. If it is true, then think on those things. And so Christians, stop believing lies. Replace them with truth. Number three, get along with God. Uh, John 10 says he's a good shepherd, and his sheep know his voice, and they, they follow him. Listen, God wants us, he, he wants to speak to us. He wants to lead us. And, and what he's, where, where he leads us is for our good. And so get along with God, hear his voice, and obey his word. And let me just say this. Sometimes when we get along with God, he points out some sin in our lives. And when he does that, he, in, he invites us to acknowledge that sin and confess it. And, uh, man, what a blessing. Here's the truth. Some of you are depressed because you got some sin in your life and you try to cover it up and you won't deal with it. And listen, David lived in misery before he acknowledged his sin. Psalm 32, 3, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groanings all day long. When I was miserable, David said. But it, that psalm began with, Blessed is the man whose transgressions are forgiven. When he dealt with that sin, he said, Blessed and happy is the man. Number four, do some personal evaluation of where you're at. God asked Elijah, what are you doing here? Let me ask you, are you where God sent you? Maybe God's put something on your heart, and, and maybe instead of following him, maybe you've been like Jonah, and you've run the other way. And, and uh, for some, God, God might say to you, listen, uh, there's work to be done. And so you stop wondering and stop worrying and stop whining and, and get on with the work. I, I think that's kind of what he said to Elijah. And uh, here's what I want you to do, Elijah. And, and listen, you got, got to let you know what he wants you to do. Um, and by the way, you're not alone. There, there are lots of other people working hard for the Lord. And, uh, and so I think sometimes God simply wants to say, listen, get on with the task. And so what, what task is it that God wants you to get on with? And, and we should ask that individually. Well, here's a question I want some of you to just think about is, what does God want to accomplish in your life uh, through this COVID-19 crisis? Maybe you've got some extra time at home, and what's God want to accomplish during that time? And listen, the last thing you want to do is get to the end of it, and everything goes back to normal, and you, you, didn't, you didn't grow any. Well, what does God want to accomplish in your life individually? And as a church, we've got to ask that question. What, what does God want to do in us and through us during this crisis? And then lastly, fifthly, prayerfully refocus away from self onto Christ and serving others. Elijah forgot what many of us forget, and that's just, it's not about us. It's about God. And uh, we have to get our eyes off ourselves and our weaknesses and our insufficiencies and get our eyes on Christ and, and, and notice what He accomplished for us on the cross and notice His sufficiency and His faithfulness. And so I'm going to close where I started this morning, Psalm 42, 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my 
God. Listen, is your hope in God? Will you turn your attention to Him? And is your hope for salvation in God? Uh, last week, we, we talked about the cross and Jesus going to the cross to pay for our sins. And, and we know that He did that. He died on the cross uh, to pay the ransom for our sins. And they buried Him on the third day. He arose again. He, he arose from that grave in victory over sin. And listen, church, He invites you to be saved. Will you come to Him in repentance and faith? I want you to know that you can have hope when depressed. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And, and uh, we just notice that uh, you're so gracious to us. And uh, we, we're just like Elijah. We, we can go sometimes from mountaintop experiences where we see you do amazing things. We're reminded of your faithfulness and your power and, and all the attributes. We're just reminded of how good you are. And the next thing you know, we're, we're afraid and we're discouraged and we're down and we're having pity parties and we're going our way instead of your way. I just, Lord, help us. Uh, Lord, I pray this morning for those who might be depressed and uh, who feel useless, uh, so discouraged. I pray that they could look to you and find hope. I pray that they could draw near to you. That they would hear your voice. Lord, I pray that as some seek you, that, that they'll hear your voice to come and find rest. And they'll be able to do that. That they'll be able to you know, rejoice and, and be filled with joy. Uh, Lord, we thank you today for your word that encourages our hearts and for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, as we play, I, we'd, we'd love the opportunity to, uh, to speak to you about a relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, we invite you to respond with a comment or send us an email. And listen, if we can help you in any way or any other way, we invite you to reach out to us by email or phone. Uh, after this broadcast, we'll be available. Uh, church, look unto Christ. He's our hope.
Make His face shine upon you. Be gracious to you. Lord, turn His face toward you.
Um, thank you so much for joining us this week. And uh, uh, I got something I'm really, really excited about to tell you. Uh, Brother Harold and I are going to do a podcast. And what we want you to do is write your questions down. Anything that you had questions about the sermon um, and, and send them to us, uh, comment on this week's sermon or um, on this week's uh, broadcast or send us an email, send us a text message, whatever. And we're going to try to get together and we're going to answer some of those things. Uh, we thought this would be a really, really good one to start because um, everybody's kind of dealt with something that has to do with depression or know somebody who has. So we want you to do that. Uh, other than that, let's, uh, let's pray together. Lord, we just thank you so much for the opportunity to come into your house and worship. Lord, and we just thank you for the things that, um, that you bless us with. And Lord, we just, um, I just want to thank you during this time that we're able to draw to your word, that you gave us something during times like these when we've got extra time and we've got some things uh, going on in our lives that we can just bury ourselves in there and that there's an answer for every question that we have. And we just love you so much for that. Thank you so much for this past weekend, the Easter and the, and the weather that we had and and just the turnout, Lord, and just the people getting together in spirit, Lord, and, and just celebrating your son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Your love awakens, awakens. 